five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Wednesday morning? Great, great. Wednesday's not really uh, – I get more excited as the week progresses. Like, for me, after Bama plays, after all the college football action on Saturday, Sunday, I'm just exhaling. And then Monday, I start really thinking about next week's opponent. And then uh, Tuesday's just sort of a non-football day for me almost, other than uh, work responsibilities. But then Wednesday, I start getting excited. Like, here we come again. Uh, Saturday is approaching. Yeah, and it, to me, this is when the real season starts, right? Uh, that first month, you had the road game at Texas that ended up being a lot more of a difficult challenge than a lot of people uh, had anticipated. But other than that, you know, it was you know Utah State, it was ULM, it was Vanderbilt. I don't think anybody thought Alabama was going to have trouble with any of those teams. And so you're a month through the season. You know that as of the last time they played on the road, they still are having some of those road struggles. But other than that, there I mean, what can you really take away through this first month of the season, Jimmy? I mean, is there anything that stands out in your mind that you can say, okay, we can take this and we can apply it to the rest of the season and it's going to, you know, play a factor or matter or whatever or, you know, and, and what I mean by that is like snap shares and, and how things are being distributed like you know, I just posted something on Twitter about Will Anderson, and he averaged 1.17 sacks per game last year in 15 contests. This year, he's averaging 1.13 sacks per game currently, and that's with him playing an average of 58.2 snaps per game last year, and he's only playing, you know, around, I think, 35 this year. So a significant decrease in snaps, but his, you know, the his snaps per game is staying roughly about the same but everybody's asking, wait a minute, why is he playing, you know, a lot less snaps? Well, because of the opponents, right? I mean, you've seen a lot of rotation against Utah State and ULM and Vanderbilt against Texas when they were on the road. He played north of 90% of the snaps. And so as you start to get into this, you know, much more difficult stretch, I think we're probably going to see a lot closer to the Texas game usage, which right. tells me, okay, what can you take away from this first month of the season? A lot. Uh a, a lot to me, but r really the, the way that I look there, this, the way the schedule broke down, Clint, to me is a, like in three, three chunks. Let, let's call them like for a meal, like the first four games, what we've seen so far, that's the appetizer. This is like, this is who's going to play. This is who's on the first team. These are the freshmen that are playing. These are the guys that are playing a big role. Uh, and, and this is your team this season. These are the guys that was the first four games. The last two games to me are dessert. And by that, I mean, it's Austin P. it's Auburn. Uh, from what we've seen from those teams, and, and I'm really talking about Auburn, uh, you know, other than the fact it's a rival and it's Auburn, I don't worry about those. Alabama will be a massive favorite in those two games. Uh, Alabama, I'm anticipating today, Clint, that uh, we'll see how these next six games go, but Alabama could be the largest favorite uh, they've ever been over Auburn in the history of the series. I mean, I, I, I think by the time that game rolls around. So I don't worry about those two. That's just sort of like, okay, regular season's over. Uh, you know, th these last two are just be fun. But these six games that are coming up, 
this is the entree. This is the meat. This is this is the dinner. The next six games will tell us exactly what Alabama accomplished in 2022 and what can we take from the appetizer to prepare us for the meat. Um, I think strengths and weaknesses, right? I mean, in terms of what Alabama is really good at and what Alabama needs work on. Uh, I, and I do think that this Saturday, Clint, the way I would look at it is, okay, we figured out in these first four games what works, and we're going to do the heck out of that. And we kind of figured out maybe what doesn't work, and we're going to try to minimize it or avoid that because you got to win Saturday. Saturday's not about improving. Saturday's about winning the game. Right, yeah, 100%. Um, and that's something that, you know, over the next really three you know, maybe even four weeks, that's the goal, right? I mean, it's it's making it through unscathed. And, you know, I've kind of said all along, I'm pretty sure everybody has, that if they're going to lose a football game, I mean, Ole Miss is certainly a possibility. Uh, you know, going into Baton Rouge, if you catch LSU at the wrong time or you don't take them seriously enough or whatever, that could potentially be a loss. But I would say I think we're all in agreement that if they're going to lose a game, more than likely it's going to come over the next four weeks. Would you agree? Yes, yes, yes. I think uh, um, at Tennessee, at Arkansas, are the two most likely losses of the six games. Yes. Uh, but but I, I would also agree that at Ole Miss, at LSU, are losable games. And uh, Mississippi State and A&M will be their own challenge as well. But these next three weeks, to me, to, to me it's at Arkansas and at Tennessee. I, I, I really can only name two teams I would be comfortable with predicting, other than Alabama. There's only two teams in college football that are going to beat Arkansas and Tennessee on the road, and that's Georgia and Ohio State. Uh, we'll find out if Alabama can join them. Uh, we'll, we'll find that out in the real world. Well, and, you know, when you look at these games, it's like what you don't want to see. If Alabama suffers a loss, you don't want it being like the feel like the Texas game where it feels like Alabama completely imploded and they were making a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes. I think if you beat a team like Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State, I think that those teams, for the most part, they have to do some things to help you, you know, do some uh, – uh, you know, maybe cough up the football or, you know, screw up in some sort of way, allow like a coverage bust that's just, you know, very uncharacteristic or whatever the case, you know, ends up being. But you don't want to see it to the degree that we saw against Texas. And really, if that if a loss would have happened in that game, that would have been the narrative, in my opinion, or that would have been the reasoning is that Alabama just completely imploded for one reason or another, going on the road, tough environment hot thing got away from them kind of quick you even had guys like will anderson who were rattled uh or seemed rattled in that game and were making a lot of you know mistakes that were it wasn't just that he was impacting the game and, and or he was not impacting the game and helping alabama win necessarily even though there was a couple of moments to me it was more he was helping texas win the game he was doing things that was prolonging drives and and giving them you know fresh sets of downs and doing all those things so i think that that is what fans probably, they want to see that avoided. You know, you go on the road against Florida last year, and that game could have gotten out of hand very quickly, but Alabama imploded, and they allowed Florida to get back into the game. And then next thing you know, it was, you know, kind of it came down to the wire uh, against Auburn last year. Uh, I think Auburn had a good game plan. I think the offensive line was overwhelmed. 
But I think, you know, Jamison Williams doing something like he did, like getting thrown out. I understand why it, why it happened, but the targeting penalty, you throw him out of the game early, that completely changes the dynamic of that football game. Uh, it was things like that that I think that fans want to see them try to avoid. You know, if you play Tennessee in Knoxville, Tennessee's a heck of a football team. They're in the top 10. Same thing with Arkansas. But if you just, if on that particular day, they're a little bit better than you and you do a couple of small things to maybe help them in that quest to win, maybe it's not as considered as big of a deal. But if you are making a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes, I think that's where fans really get concerned because it speaks to the maturity of your football team. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. And, and, and what, 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 you know, in, in terms of the implosion, if you notice that, you know, when you say, you know, Alabama imploded, you know, a series of mistakes, all that stuff was on the road, you know, Florida, Auburn, Texas. That's what A&M. the challenge, and A&M, obviously. Uh, the challenge here Saturday is to turn around what's been happening on the road, uh, the, the, the mistakes, the, that, that we just haven't been seeing in the home games. Some mistakes we hadn't been seeing throughout the saving era, to be honest. Uh, I mean, it's just a, a bizarre five-game road stretch for, Al- for Alabama where four of those five performances have been uh, well below uh, what we expect to see from Alabama under Saban. And, and, and I, I think Arkansas is a better team than all of those teams. I, I think this is the toughest team Alabama's played on the road in a good while. And, and based on the way Alabama's played on the road, uh, you'd be crazy not to be nervous about this one. Uh, because if you play like you did at Florida, uh, at AM, at Auburn, at Texas, you're going to lose. You're not going to beat Arkansas if that's how you play. So Alabama's got to clean it up. Alabama's got to do what they do best. But but that that's, that's when I think the beauty of this matchup uh, and, and why I, I do feel pretty good about Alabama winning this game, Clint, is – what has Alabama done best in these first four games? To me, it's been throwing the football. That's what Alabama has done best, throwing the football. Um, and, and Arkansas, what, what do they not defend well? Uh, a thrown football. <laughs> Arkansas has, uh, I think, dead last uh, statistically against the pass and the FBS. Alabama does throw the ball well. Uh, maybe not not so much the deep stuff yet, although I got a sneaking suspicion we'll see some of that Saturday. Uh, and, and I think Alabama's saving grace in this game might be that matchup. Uh, what Arkansas doesn't do well, Alabama does really well. And maybe that's what snaps Alabama out of these uh, these road blues. I agree. You know, I think that that is very important for Alabama. And it seemed like going into the last game, there was a lot of people talking about how, you know, they wanted to see Alabama be more physical and, and move the football on the ground and, and and all that stuff. And to me, I was looking at it the exact opposite way. I was thinking your passing game, while it has been effective at times, you know, Bryce Young was, he had not put up this, you know, huge statistically, you know, great performance up to that point. He had been missing some deep balls. And it just felt like that while that was kind of your best way of moving the the sticks and the chains, it was a lot of short passes that guys were creating after the catch. It was a lot of usage of Jameer Gibbs. Um, you're not, you know, you're not using him vertical or anything like that. It wasn't like the passing game looked flawless. I thought this was a great opportunity to be a get right game for the passing attack. And, you know, I do think that they achieved that against Vanderbilt. I thought everybody looked sharp. I think the fact that they ran tempo, Bryce looked comfortable with it. Ja'Cory Brooks stepped up. Jermaine Burton looked a lot better. Um, you know, I really think the offense as a whole, the protection was better. Um, you know, I think that that bodes well because if, if they 
had not been able to move the football or still continue to have some of those struggles in the passing game like they had had in the first three weeks, if they do that against uh, Vanderbilt, what makes you think they're going to go on the road? I don't care how, you know, on paper bad Arkansas's secondary is or how bad their pass defense is. How do you expect them to go on the road against a, a you know, top 20 Arkansas team and all of a sudden they're going to get things right? So I thought it was very important for them to take that step at home against a Vanderbilt-style secondary and, and defense. And I think that's going to help them and guide them a little bit in this uh, quest or journey to Fayetteville. No, exa- exactly. And I felt for the Vandy game, Clint, uh, very similarly to you, uh, of course, that's not surprised to anybody. We sort of share the same brain on on, on so many of these issues. But I, I kind of felt you, you didn't game plan for Vandy. I didn't think Alabama had to game plan for Vandy about how Okay, this this is what Vandy does well. We're going to put in this defense to stop that. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna play this kind of personnel to counteract what Vanderbilt does uh, offensively. Or or hey, this is how we're going to attack this Vandy defense. I I, I think that's silly. Uh, based on what Alabama had coming up in these six games, I think the challenge for Alabama last week was we got to fix. We we got to get ready for these six road games. Just like you were saying, we got to get ready for. Arkansas and not so much game planning Arkansas, not so much working on Arkansas during Vandy week. It was working on Alabama. Okay. What do we have to do better if we're going to have success during that six game stretch and we're going to practice it. We're going to run it in the Vandy game. You think so. In other words, the Vandy game to me was Alabama working on Alabama and it wasn't Alabama working on anything in particular Vanderbilt does. We're just going to beat Vanderbilt because all of our football players are better than Vanderbilt's football players. What we needed to do was work on 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 us, work on Alabama, work on the things Alabama uh, has struggled with. And, and the fact of the matter is, if you're not throwing the ball well and efficiently, then you're not going to beat Arkansas and Fayetteville. So you're exactly right about that. Uh, and, and I think Alabama took huge strides I, I think people are making way too much of the level of competition against Monroe and Vanderbilt and not recognizing that Alabama's offensive line is now playing really well obviously it's a different challenge Saturday against Arkansas and it will be sort of the test or just kind of practice tests against Monroe and Vanderbilt but I was really impressed with what the offensive line did particularly from a pass protection standpoint Run blocking still needs work. That's still going to be something they're going to have to work on throughout the season. But from a pass protection standpoint, I think the offensive line has come miles since Texas. And I actually think, as crazy as this sounds, Clint, I'm I'm starting to think the pass protection from this group might end up being a team strength. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm right there with you. And I think the run blocking showed a ton of improvement against Vanderbilt as well. You know, people talked about, you know, going more gap scheme. I do think that that is helping the offensive line. What I find so interesting about this group is that what have we always said about offensive lines, right? It's getting those guys to gel. It's, hey, identify your five starters as quickly as possible, get them on the field together, and allow them to become a unit. Is Alabama doing that? No. Right. I mean, you've got really, you know, your two tackles have been set. Your center, as much as people want to talk about Seth McLaughlin, it's Darian Dalcourt right now. And I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. 
Uh, but that's been set. But the guard play, it has been rotation. Kendall Randolph was the, you know, he started the first game at right guard and then he kicked to left guard. You had, you know, Emil Ekewer come in at right guard. Obviously, you know, that wasn't through performance or anything. It was that he was, had an illness that week. But you had him him come in. You had, you know, uh, JV and Cohen come in at left guard. And then it seems like finally, you know, Kendall Randolph is getting moved back to being that jumbo blocking tight end. And then he'll be a depth offensive lineman. But then as soon as you kind of settle that, then you bring in Tyler Booker. And he's, he, I mean, as a true freshman, you know, they don't like to move guys around or put too much on guys' plates. They got him playing left guard. They got him playing right guard. He's playing both very effectively. He's showing no, uh, you know, issues switching back and forth between the two. And you've got a rotation at guard. And the offensive line continues to improve as a whole. And it's looking better. You just don't see that too often. It's kind of, I thought JV and Cohen played you know one of his best games definitely this year but if i mean against vanderbilt uh emil ekior has been solid i think i thought he played a good game against vanderbilt too it's surprising to me how well they've managed being able to rotate those guards and and especially bringing in a true freshman and you know emil ekior jr he's got experience at left guard you know you would think tyler booker had been playing right tackle throughout the spring then you move him to right guard I would have thought, hey, you slot him in at right guard, and then you move Emil Ikior to left guard because he's the more ex- experienced player, and that way you keep Tyler Booker comfortable. No, they got Tyler Booker being the one that's moving around a lot, and he's having a lot of success doing it. That's been fairly surprising to me, Jimmy. Oh, super, super surprising, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I'll do a whole Vandy watch back. I know you did one Monday and posted some great uh, – great individual plays that you posted on the board and on Twitter from your Vandy watch back on Monday. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I think on Thursday and, and do some longer stuff on the, on the board. So, so I can't say this emphatically, but I'm, I'm sure what I'm going to see, cause I got a pretty good look at it Saturday and that's, I haven't seen Tyler Booker miss a block. I mean, in, in his playing time, since he started playing left guard and right guard, I haven't seen Tyler Booker miss. Now, Maybe I'm missed. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm seeing something incorrectly. But from what I've seen, he hadn't missed. He's been unbelievable. But that being said, hey, look, one thing I've learned about Coach Saban is he has a lot of loyalty to his veterans and his starters, and he sticks with them. And and, and even if things get a little shaky at times, he'll stick with them. And there is no reason to bench Javion Cohen uh, who had a rough summer and, and I'm sure that they're patient with that uh, and there's no reason to bench Emil Echior. He has not played his way off the field. He's been fine. Has he been perfect? No. Has Cohen been perfect? Obviously not. But I, and so I think for the first time in my memory, Clint, I think they're going to go with what amounts to a bit of a rotation there at guard and just go with the idea of, hey, we're going to play all three, and, and, that, and that way we're going to stay a little fresher. Uh, it's amazing that after 16 years, that, that's been what we're going with here because uh, Saban hadn't done this before. But it, it, it appears to be the right thing to do because it's working. And, again, I haven't seen Booker miss. Ekior and Cohen are solid players. Obviously, the staff is pleased with how Darian Dalcourt's playing, even if some fans are not. The staff is. And uh, there hadn't even been a whisper, Clint, of uh, of going with another tackle. I, I think Steen and Latham have their spots on lockdown. Uh, there hadn't even been a talk of it. So 
uh, and Steen was a player of the week this past week against Vandy. So uh, I, I think we have a solid group. As a matter of fact, it's crazy to say it considering the competition, but this is just how I feel watching them play. Um, it's, it's a better group than last year. I really feel that. This is a better group than last year's group. And, and, and I think it'll prove out over the course of the season. Are they going to win the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in college football? Heck no. Heck no, they won't. <laughs> they're not that good, but they're better than last year, which is, which is really all you, can, uh, all you can reasonably ask. Well, yeah, and I mean, early on, what do we say? You know, going into the year, we said, okay, I think that this unit can be improved from last year because there's not one place on the offensive line where you can point and say, that's where we're going to be able to get consistent pressure. Uh, last year was at right tackle. We didn't feel like that was going to be the case. Even though you had this big drop off at left tackle going from Evan Neal to Tyler Steen, we felt like Tyler Steen would be steady enough to be able to hold that job down and, and play effectively. So far, he's been able to do that. But then early on in the year, it became apparent, okay, between Darian Dalcourt's deficiencies in pass protection and having Kendall Randolph at left guard, that feels like a spot where you can get fairly consistent pressure on Bryce Young, and you can attack that spot. With where things have been trending, that's that's a problem that's being solved because now it's become more so Javion Cohen and Tyler Booker, and I feel like they're blocking that spot up. And now I say, okay, it's not the best offensive line. Do I think it could end up being one of the best offensive lines by the end of the year? Yes, I do. And by that, I mean like top, you know, 10 to 15. I'm not saying that they're going to be top five. I'm not going to not, I agree with you. They're not winning the Joe Moore award, but I think that they'd have enough talent and they're gelling and things just seem to be starting to click a little bit where I do think that you have a, a very effective offensive line by the end of the year. Uh, but yeah, you are getting this play from Tyler Booker. And to me coming in, who he kind of reminded me of uh, in the in the guard tackle versatility and the fact that I thought, okay, he can be a really good tackle, but I think he could be an elite guard. And then also just the, the, the nastiness in which he plays the game and the attitude that he brings. He reminded me a lot of Jedrick Wills. And I always said when Jedrick Wills first got to Alabama, I was like, this guy, this cat, you know, uh, he can be a good tackle. But I'm telling you, if you move him inside, I think he's like an all-pro player. He ended up being a much better tackle than I had given him credit for, to his credit. He didn't want to play inside. He wanted to stay outside. He waited his turn towards the end of the year. He got some opportunities, became the starter of the next year, and the rest is history. He was really good. But Tyler Booker's kind of, you know, me getting to see, okay, what I feel like Jedrick Wills could have or would have looked like had he been willing to move inside the guard. Booker brings that attitude that I think is so important to have with your offensive line. Who else on Alabama's offensive line brings that kind of attitude? Just this nastiness. Uh, and I think it's infectious to other guys. You know, Alex Leatherwood didn't really have that a ton. Very good offensive lineman, but he didn't play with that edge and that attitude. But I think playing, you know, next to, to Jedrick Wills, it, it gave him a little bit of that. I think, you know, playing between Tyler Steen and Darian Dalcourt and, and while Tyler Booker is in there or on the other side, either one, I just think adding that element and that attitude really is going to benefit the unit as a whole. Let's talk a little bit about the receivers now because that was a big concern. And JoJo Earl, he is practicing. He didn't have a black non-contact jersey on. Granted, the coaching staff doesn't always put those on while pictures are being taken, but it seems like he's, you know, back participating and we'll have to see what happens this weekend. But you're getting him back. You got, you know, Corey Brooks stepped up. Jermaine Burton stepped up. You know, you got Treshawn Holden, Kobe Prentice, Isaiah Bonds playing a lot early. 
Uh, you got the the Tyler Harrell situation. What do you make of the uh, wide receivers as we enter week five? I'm not as pleased with the progress as I am with the offensive line, although I'm getting there. I mean, I, I do think it's a getting there thing. Uh, what I find a little coincidental is, you know, last September, uh, there was talk uh, on the fans and, and, and the message boards that uh, Bryce didn't throw a very good deep ball. And, and then we found out over the course of the season that uh, we were just wrong about that. He got off to a little bit of a slow start. And here we are again, one, one year later, the same month, talking about the same thing. I, I think for whatever reason, Bryce is just one of these guys that it just takes a minute to develop some, some chemistry. But I think with, with receivers, but now I, I, I see this starting to happen. And you saw it with Ja'Cory Brooks in the Vanderbilt game where that was a, a pretty lethal combo in the first half of the Vandy game last week. Uh, I, I think Jermaine Burton is is better than what he's shown us in, in his worst games. Uh, I'm not sure Burton, uh, I, I, he's still, I still have him in prove it to me mode a little bit right now because Maybe I'd set my expectations too high for him, uh, but but I do see flashes there, and, and I think Burton's definitely good, and Burton's going to help us. Uh, but it sure would be nice if, in addition to Brooks and the and the steadiness of Holden and Burton, if we had just a big play dude, and uh, maybe Prentice or Bond can can be that guy before the end of the year. Uh, Jojo Harrell, though, is, has a lot more experience. He's an older kid, so I'm, I'm real anxious to see if he can add some playmaking to this, uh, to this group. But I do like the depth. I like there's a number of guys who do different things, and, and I'm hopeful that by the end of this season that either Bond or Prentice or Jojo Earl has become – the playmaker of the group if that's the case i will feel like we have a playmaker we got a couple of good possession guys and brooks and holden and the wild card to me remains jermaine burton who i really feel somewhere in that kid is the best wide receiver on this team uh but but I, i've i'm putting him either on probation or in show me mode because all spring and summer i'm like this dude is going to be our clear wide receiver one and he's going to bring us what Mechie brought us, and uh, he's going to help us not not lose much at wideout. Hadn't really got that out of him so far, so uh, so so Burton's going to have to show me before I, I get back on the train. You said JoJo Harrell. Oh my which bad. I, which I thought no, I thought it was incredible. I was like, could you imagine throwing Harrell's you know vertical speed on top of JoJo Earl's you know uh, ability after the catch and stuff? All of a sudden, they're just imagining. Wow, you. Need a number one, that'd be your guy. Um, no, that it was you you corrected and got got it right the second time around. But yeah, it is a very interesting group. And with Jermaine Burton, I found it really interesting because Nick Saban at halftime, I think it was halftime, when he was asked about, you know, the receivers and stuff, he said we feel comfortable with with seven, three, and eleven. We want those guys playing on the outside. But out of necessity, and I think this is a huge reason why you've seen so much Kobe Prentice, out of necessity, you've had to play some of those guys. You know, not really Trayshawn Holden a ton, but you've played Jermaine Burton. Through those first three games, he played north of 50% of his snaps from the slot. I want to say Ja'Cory Brooks was somewhere around 30%. And, you know, in this game against Vanderbilt, they moved those guys outside. Jermaine Burton 
he he cut his slot snap shares in half. He went from about 53% or so to about 25.9 maybe. Uh, these are just off the top of my head um, where I'd looked before, but that's essentially cut, that's more than cutting it in half. And what did he do? He played a lot better when he was kind of put in one spot and say, hey, this is what you need to do. And he was a lot more confident. He was a lot more effective. And so we've been talking about Tyler Harrell and how important he is to the wide receivers and how, you know, getting him back is going to be huge. With the way that, that Nick Saban specifically talked about wanting those other, the big three is what I call them, wanting them on the outside, I'm starting to think JoJo Earl's return is way more important than Tyler Harrell's because he is that true slot option. That's where you want him to be. And he was a guy that the coaching staff was very high on. They, they had a lot of praise for him. And so getting him back and having him predominantly be your slot guy, it's going to allow Alabama to play those other three on the outside a lot more. So I think as a, as a whole, the group is going to be much better moving forward if, you know, JoJo Earl is back. And then you get Tyler Harrell. I still think that that vertical element is needed, that true burner downfield that's really a threat in that way. But I think that the whole unit, you know, as far as playing guys in situations where they're comfortable, you know, I think it's pretty big that uh, – that, that uh, Earl is going to be coming back pretty soon. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I, I love that. I think you broke that down. Great. And that's such a good point about it, it does make a difference at this level when, when, when the difference, the difference between this player and that player is inches and not feet. And by that, I mean, Hey, you know, they all have their best spots, what they do best. And, uh, and, and Jermaine Burton is, is just not a slot receiver. Uh, I, was just, I mean, he can do it, uh, but it's just not his best spot. And the same thing, obviously, Brooks and Holden are, are outside guys, you know, the kind of bigger bodied uh, outside guys. And, and JoJo Earl is a slot. And, and, and Kobe Prentice is probably a slot. He just is, has very little experience, you know, at this level. So uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. Put it this way. I, I'm getting sold on the offensive line group. I'm growing optimistic about the wide receiver group. Not not as much as I've grown with the offensive line, but I'm I'm getting there with the wide receivers that hey, this can be a pretty good group. We just need them back. Uh the one thing I'll be non-optimistic about because I, I I don't want it to be all cheerleading all the time and and I have my concerns and 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 uh, like anybody like any other fan and you know, I, I think part of it's the injury and and part of it's that, but but I, I just think back to his numbers at Louisville and what he did, and I, I'm I'm not uh, bullish on Tyler Harrell being a splashy player on the team this year. Uh, I, I think missing this time has sort of extinguished what uh, what hope there was. Now I do agree he may come, and I expect to see him play. Uh, I do think he'll play. And he will make a play or two, and he doesn't have to play. He doesn't have to make a bunch of plays. He might make a big play or two because obviously, once the ball's in his hands, that speed is for real. But uh, I, I'm I'm pretty adamant that once this season is over, we're going to look back on it and decide that the best speed player on the offense at wide receiver is JoJo Earl and not uh, Tyler Harrell. Well, and I think that you make a great point. And when Tyler Harrell first committed to Alabama, there were some people who automatically made the connection to Jamison Williams. And we did say that's possible. You know, Jamison Williams wasn't Mr. Everything at Ohio State, 
But at the same time, I don't think anybody that really was paying attention thought that he was going to be Jamison Williams, truly. Right. Yeah, we talked about that on the show quite a bit. Really. Yeah, we absolutely did. And But what did we say back then? We said that the biggest help of adding Tyler Harrell is that I think it creates more opportunities for other guys because defenses have to play you differently when that type of speed is in your lineup. That's going to create more space for other guys to operate. And that's why I think that Tyler Harrell was going to get on the field, whether it be situationally, whether it be, you know, maybe he's a guy who's playing. I mean, Isaiah Bond's been playing quite a bit. The cat hardly ever gets any targets, man. Uh, and granted, when he has been thrown targets, he hadn't done a ton with it. But when you look at his snap share and his target share, huge discrepancy there. And it tells me that the coaching staff want to get Bond more involved and want him playing more. You know, you see his uh, usage kind of moving in the right direction. You see Kobe Prentice is kind of being dialed back a bit. Isaiah Bond was lining up quite a bit in the slot. I think they would probably prefer him outside, but maybe if he's showing enough and Prentice maybe wasn't, you know, maybe they were slowly starting to make that switch until JoJo Earl could get back or get have somebody ready in the event that o Earl's not, you know, 100% early. I don't know, you know, what the, the, the thinking is there, but the point is I think Harold in his return, JoJo Earl, I think his return is going to do a lot as far as his production and him, you know, you putting the football in his hands and him making plays. I think Harold's impact, at least right now, is a lot more based off of what he's going to be able to do for other guys in your offense as far as presenting them with more opportunities. And it's just a, it's a different field that doesn't make Tyler, you know, Harold's impact. I mean, I guess it makes it a little bit less, but if, if that's creating a lot of opportunities for other guys and you're creating explosive plays and bigger plays and guys are more open because of his presence, then that's beneficial. I don't care how many balls he's catching. So that's something to keep an eye on. We got about five minutes very quickly. I did want to talk a little bit about, you know, Arkansas. What are your thoughts on this game going in? They're very good. Very good football team. Very good at the line of scrimmage. K.J. Jefferson is a, a difference-making guy. Uh, he's the type of quarterback that's given Alabama a lot of trouble in the past. As a matter of fact, K.J. Jefferson had a pretty monster game against Alabama a year ago. Uh, I do think not having a, a trail on Burks outside uh, has has hurt them a little bit, uh, but they're very dangerous. Uh, they, they, they but but I, I think Alabama can score on them. Uh, I, I see the game uh, not being a blowout. Uh, I think it's going to be some level of tight uh, and, and and difficult. And I, I see Alabama winning the game uh, 34-24. Uh, you know, it won't be a nail biter at the end, but uh, but but we'll be relieved when it's over. Yeah, I th I'm right there with you. And I think that there's – you look at Arkansas, and I think there are some exploitable places. What I find interesting is that last year, through sheer necessity, Arkansas had to go with more of that, you know, 3-3-5 three, three, look, and they were dropping eight guys a lot because they didn't believe in the – they didn't feel like they had the depth in their front seven, and they were having problems, you know, covering or stopping the pass. And so – they were presenting this front that was very easy to run against. In Alabama, I mean, Brian Robinson did go for 120-plus yards last year, if I'm not mistaken, but they didn't rush for like 200, 250 yards like you would think against that front. Bryce Young still threw for like 500 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, he was still had to sling the football, which I found very interesting in just how they play. This year, they've gone way more to a four-man front. They don't do that 3-3-5 because they trust their front guys a lot more. They can get that rotation on their defensive line, you know, adding Drew Sanders, adding um, Landon Jackson, the former LSU, uh, you know, defensive end. He's been a big-time player for them. 
So I don't think that the opportunities to run the football are there as much as they would have been or they were last year, even though Alabama didn't fully take advantage of that. I find it interesting because I, with this secondary and the way things that, you know, the way that Arkansas operates, they're in a much better position to throw the football this year, which I find interesting. I mean, what is the, where are the numbers going to look like compared to last year? It is on the road. Uh, that's going to present a lot more challenges. You don't have the home crowd at your back. Um, you know, so we'll have to see how things end up playing out. But I like their ability to throw the football against this defense. I do think that, you know, a guy like Drew Sanders and the way that they like to move him around, you know, he's going to play, you know, that, that you know, Mike linebacker. They really run like a 4-2-5, obviously, which is kind of, you know, the nickel package, which is what Alabama's in, you know, 90% of the time, more than that, actually. Uh, so, but there are, you know, in, in situations, they'll bump Drew Sanders out and let him rush the quarterback. As a whole, the, the the Arkansas defense isn't bad. They're they're actually pretty good, and they can create some plays. It's just on the back half of their defense, and their linebackers in coverage. You know, Drew Sanders, as good of a player as he is, as good as Bumper Bumper Pool is, and how effective he has been for them for the last couple of or, or few years. I don't think either one of those two guys cover backs out of the backfield very well. I really don't think either one of them cover very well. It doesn't matter. You know, it it could be covering a back out of the backfield. It could be a receiver, a slot receiver, a you know, a tight end. So I think that you can see quite a bit of Cameron Latou. I think you see, you know, what happened in the last game where Alabama played on the road. Uh, Jameer Gibbs led the team in targets and receptions and receiving yards and was the only player on either team to score a, a receiving touchdown. Uh, that's what you got out of uh, Jameer Gibbs in that last game. I think you could see a little bit more of that in this game as well, not because Alabama has to because they're struggling at receiver, but more that's just what Arkansas presents. So I would expect a big game out of him. I would expect a big game out of Jason McClellan. You know, he's a guy that's been able to catch the football out of the backfield, plus he's got that rushing ability. I feel pretty good about both those two guys. Uh, Jimmy, we got a minute, so if you want to wrap it up for us, and then we'll close it out. Uh, I I love that breakdown. Uh, I I don't think it'll be like last year with with, uh, the amount of offense there was in the game. I, I I think both defenses will play better. And, and frankly, Alabama uh, wins this game because Alabama's defense is good. I realize Arkansas, I got Arkansas scoring 24, but uh, hey, it's, it, that's that's a difficult team to play uh, with, K, with KJ Jefferson. 100%. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game. Alabama fans enjoy it the next month, month and a half. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to be here covering it every step of the way. Not going to make up some stuff and say, hey, we're going to be back x day you know we're trying to figure this out as far as the podcast is concerned we get people's frustrations we're just you know we got a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes as far as what they want us to do with the podcast and where you know it's just it's figuring some things out but i'm not going to tell you when the next one's going to be hopefully it'll be next week but i'm not, not making any promises uh but jimmy as always i appreciate you hopping on here with me buddy and we will talk again soon once again this has been the bam on three show and i'm your host clint lamb